0: So, of all the temptations that we face in life and in the world around us, I think the greatest temptation that we have is becoming comfortable here. It's the settling in. It's the... um, not just living in the world, but but allowing the world to be a really, really significant influence on us. I think that's probably the most difficult temptation to uh, to resist. I think part of that is because there's a lot in this world that we appreciate. There's a lot of things we like. Um, the world seems to be turning more and more compassionate. And so for those of us who lean in a compassionate way, um, well, we, we we tend to gravitate towards some of the language that that we hear. And so I think it's very easy for us to fall into the temptation of being comfortable in this world, even just from... Uh, the good things of the world, and certainly the difficult things of the world. You know what I mean? The things that lead us further and further away from Jesus and into sin, and, and how we have a tendency sometimes to give ourselves permission to move in those directions. I think this is the most difficult to resist. Christians have always wrestled with how to be in the world and not of it, and to hold what Paul would refer to and, and what the early church would have understood as a dual citizenship, right? Like, So he's like a citizen of Rome, but a citizen of heaven and, and trying to figure out how to prioritize life in such a way that it reflects being a citizen of heaven, but living in Rome. I think it's something that Paul did. He, he talked about, he, he wrestled through for us in front of us and invites us into that wrestling match. And he does so again in Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 to 21. So if you have your Bibles with you, I just want you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 to 21. And if you don't know where the book of Philippians is in your Bible, then just go right to the beginning of it. There's a table of contents. Use it. It'll get you to where you need to be. And we're going to be looking at verses 17 to 21. So when you have it, here's what it says. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For it is, for as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time together here. And I thank you, Lord, that we have just this very honest uh, wrestling match that we find Paul having in the word here. And I ask, Lord, that that as we reflect on Paul's words, that our own wrestling match will come to the surface so that we can put away the things that should be put away and lean into the things that should be leaned into. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So the Philippians could really relate to the idea of a dual citizenship. Uh, They were a Roman colony, about 600 kilometers, uh, 600 miles away from Rome. And it was still... Uh, under the subjugation of Rome, right? So, So there was no doubt, Philippi was a colony of Rome, but it was in a location called Macedonia. And these people who lived in Philippi understood themselves to be citizens of Rome. And so it's In that, it's reasonable to suggest that though some may have wanted to learn the language and speak in the language within Macedonia, the majority of the people wanted to speak the language of Rome. It's a reasonable thing to conclude. Another reasonable thing to conclude is that when they put their children in bed at night, they leaned into the stories of the heroes of Rome, not the stories of the heroes of Macedonia. They were citizens of Rome living in Macedonia. And the struggle that anyone that has deep affection for the country needs to wrestle with is the fact that their country is temporary. It has a shelf life. The nation that they are a the citizen of is historically temporary because every nation eventually falls or diminishes. And so even if you did a survey through scripture, you see that there's a rise and fall of empires. And with the rise and fall of empires, what we learn is that it just proves that all these things are temporary. So we need to consider what it means to live as citizens of heaven, which is eternal, and citizens of this temporary world, which ends. And that's the wrestling match we have, really, if you think about it. What we have in front of us is exactly just that. It's in front of us. We deal with our world every single day. And it's hard for us not to think in terms of the life that we have right in front of us. And yet we're called to be a people who think of the life that is eternal. And that we're to consider the citizenship that we have in heaven as primary over the citizenship that we have in whatever space that we're living in. And I think that that's a really hard wrestling match. But Paul is talking about these very things in Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 to 21 that we just read. And he's telling the Philippian church and us that, we, that there are these characteristics that come along for Christian citizens living in a temporary world. So the first one would be this. If you look at verse 17, One of the things that we see Paul calling us into... Now, again, this is a series. It's called Finding Joy. We're going through the book of Philippians. And and it's reasonable to say that we can find joy as citizens of heaven, more likely than as citizens of whatever nation we're living in. So verse 17, verse 17 says, "...join together in following my example, brothers and sisters." As you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. And so Paul's telling the Philippian believers and you and I that there's an example to follow, that we are to copy spiritually minded believers, believers who have an eternal focus, believers who are wanting to become more and more like Jesus and less and less like themselves. So he's telling us to follow his example in godly living and to follow the example of those who are following him. Paul and the others weren't perfect, but they were still excellent role models. And Christians can't really actually grow properly without somebody discipling them. You see, that's the model Jesus gave us, right? If we want to become more like Jesus, then we need to be disciples. In order to be disciples, somebody needs to disciple us. And so it is reasonable to suggest that every single one of us needs A Paul. But then at the same time, we are also a people who are to disciple others. And so then it's reasonable to also then say that every single one of us needs a Timothy. And so then ask yourself who's your Paul and who's your Timothy? Who's leading you to become more and more like Jesus? And who are you leading to become more and more like Jesus? We can't grow properly unless we have someone discipling us. And we call this discipleship because it it actually means that we are to look just like jesus that we are to act like him walk like him talk like him think like him like every aspect of his being we are to mimic and become like now unfortunately discipleship is a bit of a lost practice we have a, a lot of people who talk about things like leadership development and that's important we have a lot of people talking about you know you need to know your bible that's important but I find that a lot of people know about Jesus, but don't necessarily live like Jesus. And it's the living like Jesus that is the thing that accentuates the fact that we are his disciples. Like his disciples are in the word. They, they pray, they do service, and they do missions and these things. Um, but they also are like him with his compassion and with his truth, all combined. And it's interesting. So he writes in verse 17, "Join together and following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do." Now Paul's not saying here, "Hey, I've got it all together." As a matter of fact, just five verses earlier in verse 12, he actually says, "Not that I've already obtained all of this." Or have already arrived at my goal but i press on to take hold of that which christ jesus took hold of me and so it's this idea of i'm going to pursue jesus i'm inviting you along the way so pursue jesus as i pursue jesus and i'm going to lead you in that direction that's the idea here so it's not about being perfect but it's certainly about pursuing jesus and so paul is saying that those prone to There are those who are prone to follow anybody who sounds good and looks good. But they are to follow people who do good, like himself. It's not a little bit like our world today. Um, We we live in a world, I think, where we herald people who look good and sound good. Um, I heard someone say, why can't our area have preachers like they have online. Those guys are so good. It's like, yeah, okay. But we see a lot of them fall. And you're not really in relationship with the people that are 100% online. Like you don't have contact with them. So it's hard for you to be shepherded by them as well. But they sound good. And some of them look good. That's in the Christian world. If you think about the non-Christian world, there, how many people do we champion or look up to because of their, the, the language they use, right? Like they, maybe they are into something that we're into and, and maybe you're listening to the advice that comes from them, even though there, there may not be a godly bone within their body. But they look good and they sound good and everybody else is listening, so maybe I should too. See, that's becoming comfortable in the world. That's being a citizen of the world more than a citizen of heaven because the citizens of heaven look for the words from heaven to guide us in life. And so he's saying, look to people like himself or Timothy or anyone else who imitates the life of the crucified and risen Lord. So here's the question. If somebody were to follow your life, my life, Would they look more like Jesus having done so? That's a tough question. You know, it's hard not to think about all the different ways we fail. It's hard not to think about all the different letdowns in life and, and how I'm not always like Jesus. But I want to be. I think you do too. So the question then to evaluate is if someone were to follow you, by following you, do they become more like Jesus? Or do they become more like whatever has enraptured your heart? Maybe it's your sports teams. Maybe it's your politics. Maybe it's your um, acts of compassion, like whatever it is. But but do they become more like you or more like Jesus? And and that's the thing here. We're to be more like Jesus and lead people into being that. If our unsaved neighbors and friends don't see Jesus as Lord in our lives, it's safe to say that for many of them, they may never see him. If our families won't experience Jesus from us, well, then the danger is that they might become like the Israelites in the days of Judges. Judges chapter 2, verse 10 to 13. Like, think about just how brutal this must be. Uh, Joshua leads them into the land of Canaan. They conquer Canaan. Joshua passes away. His generation of people pass away. So these are people that God used in incredibly powerful ways. And then it says this, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods, of the peoples around them. You see that? Like citizens of the world around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook Him and served the Baal and Ashtoreth. Are we examples of God's grace and glory who has sacrificed everything for us? Joshua's day, somehow something got missed in terms of the telling of the stories of what God had done. Like they they didn't know about Egypt. They didn't know what God had all done. So there's responsibility on our part as those who experience the Lord, who walk with the Lord, to pass on these truths to those who come up after us. And then the responsibility of those who come up after us? Well, it's to live by the truths. It's to be in the word. It's to learn the things of God, become like Jesus. the danger of for us is that if our families don't experience Jesus with us if we're not guiding them to become more like Jesus well someone's going to guide them to be more like the world that's what happens and so we are to follow godly example paul timothy and the people around who are seeking after the things of Jesus. So in the idea of who is your Paul, my encouragement to you would be to look around you, look at the spheres that are are circles that you engage and and ask yourself, who is trying to be more like Jesus? And, And I want to spend more time with them. It's also not just following the example of the godly, but it's also to avoid following the example of the ungodly. Verses 18 and 19 say it this way. For I, as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears. So this is a deeply uh, impactful thing for Paul to be thinking about. He says, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. So Paul is passionate here, not condemning. See, that's that's a significant thing here. Paul with tears is reflecting over the worldly-minded people who profess to be believers. He isn't talking about unbelievers, but people in the church. And so there's nothing more dangerous, I think, than a professing believer who is worldly in their thoughts and their actions. You see, to be worldly in our thoughts and actions is is to, realistically, it's to oppose the truths of Jesus. Jesus says one thing, the world says something different. Um, Or or here's the the real rub. Uh, Sometimes you see the Scripture and the world use similar language so they seem like they might be the same but the intention and the outcomes are very different from each other so jesus says right like um love your neighbor as yourself right and it's this whole idea of what does it mean who is my neighbor and essentially the the answer to that is everyone so i'm to love my neighbor the world would say well we got to love everyone around us now both those statements are true. The difficulty, and they're they're almost identical statements, but the difficulty is how the scripture defines how that love gets enacted is not necessarily the same as how the world would tell you how the world how that love gets enacted. And so it matters who's influencing you. So avoid following the example of the ungodly. He's talking about those who have worldly thoughts and actions, and so he's talking about people to be who are essentially in opposition. To jesus it means they no longer regard the need of grace no longer regard the need for forgiveness and if a person doesn't regard the need for god's forgiveness and then turns their back on god's grace then man we got a story in the bible for that it's called the prodigal son the son in the prodigal son story starts off in his father's home he wants his inheritance here and now which is a direct cultural statement of saying dad i want you dead and he goes off and he just wildly spends all this money and 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 ultimately the people he thought were close to him were not actually in fact close to him he loses everything he's down and dumps his life is absolutely decimated and then he comes back to the father we don't want to be like the prodigal like the story of what paul is trying to illustrate here in, in, in Philippians, in, in, in not following these negative examples in life, he's wanting us to chase after the things of Jesus so that we don't have life decimated away from him. It, it's so that we don't have to come to a place that, that just leaves us distraught and in despair. You see, there is no despair in Jesus. There's hope. And it wasn't until this prodigal son came to a place of despair and then he thinks back on his father's home and realizes, hey, wait, there's hope over there. I'm going back. And he got even more than he thought he was going to get. That's for the believer. But for the unbeliever, that wants nothing to do with God's grace or nothing to do with God's forgiveness. Well, the outcome there is hell. You get what you want says their destiny is their destruction and then he he goes on and he says their their stomach or their god is their stomach now the stomach in the mind of paul and in the mind of the philippians in the day is is this notion of the appetite or the desire the bible doesn't say the desire in and of itself is wrong godly desire is good there's nothing wrong with that. God placed desires within us. We are a people who, as part of our existence, have desire. It's part of what it means to be an image bearer. God has desires. He, you know, one of, the, one of my favorite ones is that God wants that none should perish. Okay, what's God's desire there? That everyone would come to saving knowledge of Him. And so desire is not in and of itself bad, but it can be. The stomach in the mind of Paul means this appetite and desire, and the Bible doesn't say it's necessarily wrong, but um, here, here's the trick with it Desire is something that should serve the person, not a person serving their desire. Do, do you see that? Desire is something that should serve the person, not the person serving the desire. The stomach of desire itself is not a problem, but rather making the stomach God is the problem. When we satisfy our wants, or or when satisfying our wants becomes kind of that chief end in life for us, we make the stomach our God, and our belly God? Well, it changes into a tyrant before we know it, and it just starts dragging us around, constantly looking like slaves to our desires. What do you think happens with addiction? What do you you think happens when people step out on their marriages and chase after somebody else? It's all part of it. And because the stomach is, is not the God of heaven, but is actually the God of this passing world, if we choose to serve that God, we can only think of what's important to this world and all the while being proud of what we should, in fact, actually be ashamed of. And so we lean into things that we call pride. We become proud of our achievements. We become proud of our successes. We become proud of our um, sin. And we want other people to join us in it and tell us that it's good. Jesus talks about it um, maybe in another way. Mark chapter 8, verse 36 says it this way. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Right, like we're chasing after all of these things. And what good is it to gain all these things? What good is it to gain all the desires that that we may have that are not godly? And what good is it to have all these things if it costs us, like our soul? Their mind is on earthly things. The battle we must fight as believers is a battle over our minds. And and even in this regard, I think some people give the devil a little bit too much credit. And some people don't give him enough. People give him too much credit in terms of his power. And don't get me wrong, Satan's nobody to be trifled with. As a matter of fact, the book of Jude uh, tells us very specifically that we are not to rebuke satan that michael like michael the archangel when arguing over the body of moses there's a mind job right like something to research and dive into but when michael the archangel who was the archangel who cast satan like lucifer out of heaven right like he led the armies against lucifer out of heaven did not argue like did not rebuke the devil when arguing over the body of moses he He didn't declare anything in and of himself. He said the Lord rebuke you. And so he's not somebody to be trifled with, but at the same time, the devil didn't make you do anything. If you are here and you're you're listening to this and you're talking about and evaluating the, the idea of what does it mean for you to be more like Jesus and less of the world, what does it look like for you to be a citizen of heaven First and allow that to influence how you are a citizen of the world. Let me I'll say it to you this way. If you are a citizen of heaven first, you'll be an amazing citizen of the world. Because you're going to champion the things of God. But if you are a citizen of heaven, sorry, of the world first, you are a lousy citizen of heaven because the mind of Christ is not running you. The mind of Christ is not guiding you. The primary power talking about the evil one, the primary power that he has is actually lies. Jesus in John 8:44 says, there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And he goes on to say that he was a liar from the beginning. And so when we believe his lies, when we set our minds primarily on earthly things, we fall into his trap. Here's an earthly thing. I have been wrestling with this with people for many, many years. I've been struggling to figure out how to put it into words. Here is a lie. You ready? God wants you happy. As a primary focus of who God is, he wants you and me to be happy. Look, let me tell you the danger of that lie. The danger of that lie is that it's 100% based on emotion. And so, whatever I'm experiencing, whatever I'm feeling, if it's not happiness, then there's something wrong, and God is required to do something on my behalf. Let me offer it to you this way God wants something even better than that for you. He wants you holy. And there is a joy that leads to a happiness that comes from that holiness that the focus on happiness just can't offer you. The lie is happiness, the truth is. Is holiness, and so he causes these lies to float around with us. They come in through different forms of media. Here's some common lies that that uh, are spread about the liar, and, and and you know this. The world is starting to key in on some of these things, but they're replacing them with other ones. But here's one: you must be young, good-looking, and popular to be successful, right? Like I don't. The, the amount of people that I am familiar with who want to uh, have their career to be either YouTube or Instagram, and this is how they're going to make a living. But in order to do so, you got to look good, you got to talk good, you got to do, you know, all these different things. You got to be young, look good looking and popular to be successful. That's a lie. It's not true. Uh, Define success. What does it mean to be successful? And allow that to be framed within a godly way to help you then understand what you need to be in order to be able to get there. The one who dies with the most toys wins. There's a lie. and There's a lot of us who fall at the feet of this one. The message we take in through mass media will not affect our spiritual lives. Man, this is a lie. You know what the fastest growing social media uh, tool being used or platform being used is TikTok. Now I know a lot about myself and I haven't got a clue. TikTok doesn't make sense to me. What I can tell you is this, TikTok has some of the most uh, ungodly-leaning ideologies of all the platforms. And you know who their primary targets are? Because it's not people like me, it's our kids. Now, I'm not saying get rid of it and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's certainly for you to discern with the Lord. What I am saying is that the idea that we're going to take in a message from some kind of mass media and it's not going to impact us in any way is completely naive. You ever go to a movie, be a very sentimental movie? Did you tear? Were you moved to some kind of emotional outburst? Like, were you, did you get angry in the movie because of something that maybe uh, was dealing with a justice issue within the movie and it, and it stirred your anger? Did it stir your other emotions? Guys, did you ever go to a movie with your friends? Maybe it was a martial arts movie. You come out and you just figure out, hey, who can kick the other guy in the head? We are absolutely influenced. And that's just a tiny thing. That's just influencing our emotions. Never mind try to influence our thinking. How about this one? If it feels right or good, then by all means, do it. If it feels good and right, do it. Not is it good and right, if it feels good and right. You know the danger of this thinking, this lie? When I was younger, there were all kinds of things that might have felt good to me. Now that I'm older, I can look back on those things and say, no, those things were not right, and I wasn't thinking straight. I was leading with emotion. Don't lead life with emotion. Lead life with truth and allow it to inform your emotions on then how to function in life. You know, it's an interesting thing. Lately, I've been hearing people, instead of saying, uh, when they're contemplating something, instead of saying, I think that, right? So meaning that there's a cognitive thing going on to cause them to evaluate and, and, and then draw a conclusion. I think that. You know what I hear instead now? Because I don't hear the I think anymore. I hear I feel. I feel. We live dangerously when we live by our feelings. Because my feelings change, and I know yours do too. And if our feelings change, what does that then mean for the outcomes and the decisions that we make? How about this one? This this one just drives me insane. Marriage isn't important. What is important is that I am happy by all means necessary. Who do we think we are? Like the idea that I get to just do whatever it is that I want to do because it's somehow going to potentially make me happy at the expense of someone else, including the person that I think I might be made happy from. Nah, guys, all of this is garbage. It's absolute garbage. You know, when these kinds of lies start creeping into our heads, you know what we need? We need Romans 12. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and then we will know God's perfect, pleasing, good will. That's what we do. It's not a leaning into these lies. It's a, it's a refuting of these lies. We, we don't allow ungodly things to be our influences. That's just how it is. And whenever we do allow, allow ungodly things to be our influences, you know what we then do? We defend it. More often than not, we justify our sin. Well, Rob, it's not as bad as what I was doing over here. Actually, it is, because all sin is equal. So stop defending it. Stop it. It's all getting old. It's old. These are old lies. And they've been told time and time again, we gotta stop falling for them. And we start leaning into the truth. And the only way you're gonna lean into the truth, the only way I lean into the truth is by knowing what that truth is. You wanna know the truth? Here's the truth. As a follower of Jesus Christ, our our citizenship is in heaven right now and we are called to live as it is verses 20 and 21 it helps us understand that we're away from home temporarily meaning that being a citizen of heaven we're here temporarily which means we're away from there temporarily but we are citizens right now and we should be looking for the coming of jesus who will transform our bodies to be like his. In verse 20, he says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And so even the Philippians, even though they lived in Macedonia, they understood that they're in Macedonia, but they're citizens of Rome. And they're about the things of Rome. Their their focus is Rome, not Macedonia. And how they are as citizens of Rome impacts how they are in Macedonia. But they're citizens of Rome first. And so therefore, I am sure that when they heard the words, our real home is in heaven, the disciples in Philippi were immediately able to grasp the imagery of that faith, of that phrase. Now, you gotta remember that most Philippians held Roman citizenship. And because they held this citizenship, they enjoyed various special privileges. And that was also something that they were proud of. Paul's making no mistake writing these words with this image of Roman citizenship in Philippi. On the other hand, we could never qualify on our own to obtain the right to be the citizen of heaven. In the sight of God, our sin becomes the primary obstacle to citizenship in the kingdom of God. That's how it is. The original sin, the fall of mankind, the sin nature is what is that hurdle that has to get overcome in order for us to be citizens of heaven. It's the fundamental barrier in our relationship with God. And somehow, we got to receive forgiveness. But it only comes with the gift of redemption that's made possible through death and resurrection of Jesus on the cross. Now, for the Philippians, uh, you know, like as Roman citizens, death on the cross was the cruelest form of capital punishment. It was reserved for murder, for slave riots. It was um, reserved for other kinds of heinous crimes. It was like the worst of the worst kind of capital punishment that a person could experience. For the Roman citizen, they were beheaded not crucified. Jews felt the same way. The stoning was preferred method of execution. Deuteronomy actually says, anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. Exactly. That's the point. God came to earth in the form of a human who became a curse for us. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. And despite the shame and and the sadness of it all, what took place on a hill called Calvary became arguably the most important fact about Jesus' life except for his resurrection. And because of him, because of that work on the cross, we are citizens of heaven when we received his free gift of salvation. And, and when we do, it's like we get this, we get to carry a set of papers with, that's been branded by the cross. It's inscribed on it. It's like, in this world right now, we have these temporary visas. We're just visiting. We're here working here for a while. Now, it's not wrong to love where we live. That's not the issue here. My first allegiance is to the cross and as a citizen of the kingdom of God. And the rewards to that? Man, those are just awesome. Like, just take note of the joyous rewards of walking the right way in verses 20 and 21, right? There's this eager expectation of Jesus' return. Like, we don't have to be afraid of Jesus' return. We get to look forward to Jesus' return. As each day draws, each evening fades, we should be expecting the fulfillment of this incredible hope that we have. The faithful Christian citizen will not fall asleep as is watch for the lord's that is watch for the lord's return like we've got to keep our eyes open the world around us the living as citizens of the world around us that clouds our judgment it clouds our our sight it gives us a different lens than than the one that we should be using one of the primary reasons why christian citizens allow worldliness to sneak into their lives is because they cease to watch for the imminent return of jesus like, it's this idea that, yeah, we know Jesus is returning. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross. Thank you for all that you experienced that was absolutely brutal, that at Easter I contemplate and cry when I watch the passion of the Christ. Thanks. But I'm going to live like it's not happening. Right? We go to church on Sunday, we worship, we could dive into his word, we listen to the preacher, and at the end of the service, you know, we'll say, Oh, what a great worship service or great word preacher. And, and then we live our lives as if nothing of that stuff ever happened. And we're called to be conformed to the image of Jesus, to be citizens of heaven, to be able to say, with John, who says in Revelation 22, verse 20, uh, or when we hear these words from Revelation twenty two twenty, 20, yes, I am coming soon, that we would be able to worship in all adoration of the king of kings who is coming. And so we get to look expectantly towards Jesus's return and, and not be afraid of it. We can look forward to it. But secondly, there's this assurance of the resurrected body. He, he will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And the word lowly points to our body's weaknesses and his vulnerability to things like persecution and disease and, and age and pain and death. But there is this time coming, Jesus' second coming, when, when because we have accepted his free gift of salvation, walked in his ways, our bodies, and they're going to become glorious. Like there's not going to be any more pain. They're going to be powerful and honorable and spiritual and immortal because of Jesus. And what Paul is saying here is like, look, like evaluate it. Follow the example of godly people. Avoid following after worldly values like shun worldly values like you know honestly like this is kind of a ridiculous thing to even have to say to other believers but contemplate this the world sends you a message the bible offers you a message and for some reason we're conflicted don't be conflicted choose the bible every time if god is god follow him if baal is god follow him But choose this day whom you will serve. Be citizens of heaven. Shun worldly values. Imitate excellent Christian role models like what we see in the scriptures and the people that you may have around you in life. And consider your primary citizenship to be heaven. Do these things. Walk in these ways. Have your mind transformed, renewed, by focusing on the things of God, allowing Him to be your primary influence in how your mind is shaped. And I assure you, you will experience the joy of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time here, and I pray, Lord, that um, the truths in your word would just permeate in our lives. That, Jesus, that we would choose to be citizens of heaven more than citizens of this world. And that, Lord, that there wouldn't even be a, a, a debate about it. Lord, that we would just simply choose you and allow the choosing of you to transform us so that we can be the kinds of citizens in this world that you have called us to be. In your name I pray, Lord. Amen.